Well, in uh, May last year, I got to travel to Melbourne and take part in an intensive talk by Ed Welsh. So he's one of the guys that teaches at this Christian counselling institution that I've done some study through. Uh, Ed's taught four of the classes that I've taken in, in biblical counselling. Uh, but the thing that was difficult about them is he's over in the US and I'm over here, and, and all the study is done online via distance. So the opportunity to hear him speak in Melbourne in person, face-to-face, was really exciting, and, and with a group of students who were there physically present with me. But one of the things that struck me from that time was Ed's humility. And during the class, one of the things that he openly said was, the Lord's been growing me in humility. After 40 years of counselling, someone asked me a tricky question, and I'm more free to say, I don't know. But I knew that they weren't just empty words for Ed. Uh, Speaking to him during a break, I asked how he was holding up. Uh, as you know, long days of, of teaching being on his feet. And he said, you know, Sherry, that's his wife, Sherry and I have been out here a number of times for these intensives, but I've always ended up falling sick by the end of it. Uh, and this time we've kind of planned a week's recovery when we get back. And I'm learning, I just need to have quiet evenings back at our accommodation. I need to pace myself. So his growth in humility, it wasn't just being quicker to say, I don't know. It was also living within his limits. He knew that He's a finite being. And I I wonder, how are you growing in your humility as you walk with the Lord? After all, this is what the Lord calls us to. Listen to Colossians 3 verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Where are we? We're in our last sermon from Proverbs. And we've been looking kind of thematically, rather than going through Proverbs chapter by chapter, we've we've been looking thematically thematically at the whole of Proverbs about what it has to say about particular character traits and how they change our relationships. So today it's it's humility and and what that does, how that that ought to shape the way we relate to one another. Now, the first point is we're going to be looking at the fact that humility is shaped by a fear of the Lord. How does Proverbs define humility? It's, it's, it's really closely related to a fear of the Lord. So, so listen for the way that they're paired together in Proverbs 22, verse 4. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honour and life. So here, humility and fear of the Lord, they, they describe someone's lifestyle. It's like the sum total of what describes them. Now, my wife and I, Haley, Haley and I are revisiting something called the Focus Course at the moment, something that we've done in the past, and we're working through it again. It aims to bring your life into sharp focus, uh, to, to bring clarity onto what's, what's important to us, the things that shape big-picture planning, schedules, decisions, habits, that kind of stuff. But one of the steps in that process in the first module is to boil down your life vision by selecting the two values that are most important to you. You start with selecting 10 or so, and and then you narrow it down to the most important. In my roles as, you list out your roles, and then you say, I want to express, impart, and exemplify the values of, I've settled on love and wisdom. But see how this proverb is giving us two core values to live by, humility and fear of the Lord. Let's consider for a moment Proverbs 3, verses 5 to 8. 
I think this is one of the, the clearest places that we see humility and a fear of the Lord being described. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Notice the the word humility isn't actually used there, but I think it's describing the posture of humility. What's the posture described? Well, in verse 5, it's placing our confidence in God. We trust in him with all that we have. We trust in him and not in our own understanding. In verse 6, we submit all our ways to him. Nothing in our life, there's no area that doesn't come under him. There's nothing that's off limits for him to speak into. Nothing that he isn't fit to rearrange as he sees fit. But these verses also show us that there's an opposite to humility. And in verse 5, it's to lean on our own understanding. It's to trust in ourselves. In verse 7, it's to be wise in our own eyes. This reminds me of that tragic refrain running through the book of Judges. You might remember looking at it a couple of years ago. I think we looked at it as a church. And we see this attitude in so many different characters. There's no thought for the Lord and his ways. In someone like Samson, it's it's just each person acting as he sees fit. And the book ends with this verse. "In In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. You know, they had a king, the Lord, but they chose a different path. They chose a different wisdom than the fear of the Lord. They chose to be wise in their own eyes. What's another word for this? Pride. Pride says, I'm big and God is small. Humility says, God is big and I am small. At its heart, humility fears God and and shuns evil. Verse 7. And this brings health to our bodies and nourishment to our bones. Verse 8. It leads us to flourish because this is the way we were meant to live. Well, how do we live by a fear of the Lord? I think of someone that I met with during the week past. And she said, I just really need God. Pray that I would lean on him. Now this person experiences chronic mental health challenges. Yet there's something that she sees very clearly. I need God. I really need him to be near to me and help me. Without him, I don't have anything else. But the reality is the same for you and I, isn't it? Some of us know it more than others. Some of us are more functional than others. Yet none of us is beyond the need of the Lord's daily sustaining care. The longer we know him, the more we realise how much we need him. We're seeing that wisdom is shaped by a fear of the Lord. And it's worth noting that there's really only one person who's consistently lived out this attitude. Jesus, the true human. Consider what Matthew tells us about him in chapter 11, verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. If we have any doubt what humility looks like, we read of Jesus and the way he lived among us. 
that we look to him as our saviour and our master who makes us like him, humble in heart. So far, we've seen from Proverbs that humility is shaped by a fear of the Lord. And this brings us to our second point. Humility produces good. Here I'm wanting to focus on how our humility benefits those around us. And now let's start with the good that's produced from our listening. If you want a good litmus test of your humility, um, the way you listen or don't listen tells us something. So look at Proverbs 18, 12 to 13. Before a downfall, the heart is haughty, but humility comes before honour. To answer before listening, that is folly and shame. Now verse 12, it's got this classic pride comes before a fall idea. We'll come back to honour later. Let's think about the connection. What's the connection between verses 12 and 13? Isn't it that a haughty heart, a proud heart, it jumps in and it answers before it's taken time to listen? Here's an example. Uh, Last week while writing the previous sermon, um, the the other week, I was called up by a telemarketer who was asking for a Mr. Shaman. Now I said, you know, I've had this number for the past year. I was was, was trying to explain that it might have belonged to Mr. Shaman, but it's not his anymore. Uh, but then the other guy, he just launches in, assuming that I am Mr. Sharman. What is he doing? He is responding without listening. And that, says Proverbs, is folly and shame. Obviously, I, I don't have a relationship with this guy. There's, there's no ongoing interaction. But, but what happens in a, in, in a relationship with, with someone in our lives when we live by this pattern? What's it do? Well, I think it closes a door in the relationship. We think, this person doesn't listen. I shared something small, but they didn't take it in. Why would I share my heart with them? And if you listen, well, conversely, it opens a door. This person is trustworthy. They handled with care what I shared with them. I feel safe sharing a bit more. Now consider the the good that comes from listening to others. In in this case, in Proverbs uh, 10, verse 8. The wise in heart accept commands but a chattering fool comes to ruin. But the wise person, he takes to heart the Lord's commands. They're a person under authority, willing to hear and be shaped by instruction. And we see something similar in Proverbs 13, 13. Whoever scorns instruction will pay for it, but whoever respects command is rewarded. What happens when you scorn an instruction? Perhaps a child... I'm not going to do that. Who are they to tell me what to do? Well, you'll pay for it. Things won't go well for you. And if you respect a command, take it to heart, well, you'll be rewarded. A parent's love for you will actually bear fruit in your life. You'll be spared painful consequences. But you'll also enjoy the harmony of that relationship. Listening will strengthen the bond and trust will increase. Now the same goes for our relationship with the Lord. When we do what he says, we taste his goodness to us. We enjoy sweet relationship. Think again of one of our children that I mentioned last week. There was no name, but that child who had a moment of discipline, was sitting on a stool, and we came to speak to him about what he'd done wrong after a timeout. And 
he wasn't listening to our words. No words were going in. He's saying, it's all my siblings' fault. Well, that lack of humility, the lack of the willingness to listen, it keeps that child stuck. They're not seeing, here's someone older and wiser than me who can show me a better way. And that resistance, it impacts the relationship. How different would it be if the response was, I was wrong. Help me to see a better path. I'm all ears. Well, humility is needed whether you're a child or whether you're a leader of a nation. So let's look at Proverbs 11.4 from our reading. For lack of guidance, a nation falls, but victory is run through, won through many advisors. What happens when there's no humility, when pride reigns? A leader rules with an I know best attitude. There's no need to listen to others, to widen the circle of wisdom. Do that and the nation's likely to fall. You see, all wisdom doesn't reside in one human being. Instead, humility invites advisors. It seeks the input of others. This is what I'm thinking. Is there something that I'm missing? What do you think? Do that and you'll secure victory. What's the good that humility delivers here? Well, it's an outcome that's good for those around you. So in our decisions, we we don't go it alone. We invite others into our dilemmas. We seek wise input from those we trust, people who've shown they want what's good for us. Another good humility produces is the impact that our fear of the Lord can have on those around us. So listen for the impact on children in Proverbs 14, 26 to 27. Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for their children it will be a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. When we fear the Lord, he is a secure fortress for us, a safe place. But we also teach our children something. Where is true safety found? Where do they find refuge? In fearing the Lord. Our fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. It turns us away from destructive ways. It models something to those around us. One of the fruits that humility, um, that the New Testament kind of brings into sharper focus for us is about our thinking about other people, having them on our hearts and on our minds. And I think it's summed up in that phrase, humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. So we read in Philippians 2 of the comfort and encouragement that we've received from knowing Jesus. And that comfort and encouragement, it overflows. And so Paul calls us there as God's people to be people of of one mind, to have the same kind of love. And then he says in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now at this point, as we've been going through this series, I've been encouraging you to think of one relationship that you've got in your mind, that you're applying, applying these things to. I want to remind you of that relationship that you've been focusing on. I wonder, where do you see humility working itself out in that relationship? How are you going at listening to this person in your life? Perhaps this is the kind of relationship that requires making decisions together 
If so, are you seeking helpful input from others? Are you opening up the circle of wisdom? Or are you steaming ahead, confident that you've got this? Are there ways that seeking that you're seeking their interests ahead of your own, conscious of what is good for them? We'll come back to the how of growing in humility towards the end, some, some concrete steps. What we've just seen, the second point, is that humility produces good. This leads us to our third point. Humility leads to honour. And we see pride and humility contrasted again in Proverbs 11.2 from our passage. Listen for the outcome of pride. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. What's the outcome of pride? Disgrace. It's the loss of honour. Shame. Losing reputation. What's the outcome of humility? In Proverbs 29.23, a person's pride will humble him, but a humble spirit will gain honour. Pride leads to disgrace. Humility leads to honour. And Proverbs seems to highlight this again and again. So Proverbs 3.34-35, he mocks proud mockers, but shows favour to the humble and the oppressed. The wise inherit honour, but fools get only shame. The he here is God, and he mocks the proud person, but he shows favour to the humble. The wise get honour, fools get only shame. Now this is the verse that gets picked up and used in the New Testament in 1 Peter 5, 5 and James 4, 6, as God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. Uh, we also, yeah, we read about this, this counsel of how to stand in the presence of greatness that, that, that we're, is addressed in Proverbs 25, 6 to 7. Don't boast about yourself before the king and don't stand in the place of the great. For it is better for him to say to you, come up here, than to demote you in plain view of a noble. I think Jesus, I think he knew these verses very well. I wonder if you can hear the wisdom of this proverb echoing through his parable in Luke 14. It's probably too small to read on the screen, but I'll read it to you. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honour at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honour, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you'll have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he'll say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honoured in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus knew this reality. Humility leads to honour. Now it's worth thinking through how this works. I think it plays out both in the here and now, in this life, but also in the life to come. When I was working for a web design company a number of years ago back in Newcastle, we took on this project of designing a website for a surgeon. Now the trouble was, I think his expert knowledge had gone to his head. 
He was convinced that his success as a surgeon meant he also had expertise in web design. And he was meddling in the process of creating his website. He insisted on using these cringy 3D stock graphics, much to our horror. And the trouble was, he just didn't put himself under us. He didn't look to our expertise in terms of our skills and experience. He, he related over us, dictating. Our response as a team, this guy's a jerk. He's so arrogant. His pride that came out with our interaction with our team, it, it led to disgrace. Disgrace in the sense that we struggled to have respect for him. But here's an opposite example. Humility. Again, when I was back in Newcastle, a fellow youth group leader, he was a big Switchfoot fan, uh, and he had the opportunity to meet John Foreman, the lead singer of Switchfoot, and they had a personal conversation. And, and John was warm, friendly, and relatable. Fast forward a couple of years, and my friend Jeff, he had the opportunity to meet John Foreman a second time. Hey, Jeff, how are you doing? John remembered Jeff by name. He was genuinely interested in Jeff. And that interaction, that humility, it left an imprint. Was the impact of John's humility? He's not just a guy who sings about Jesus. This guy is the real deal. His fame hasn't gone to his head. He really cares. Humility led to honour. The way John related it commanded a, a certain respect. Now, riffing on that proverb uh, James refers to, God opposes the proud but but shows favour to the humble, Uh, James says this in James 4.10, Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. So the same principle, it plays out in our relationship with the Lord as we walk with him. If we cover up our sin and refuse to confess it, we'll experience the Lord uh, standing against us. God opposes the proud. But if we confess it in humility and see our wayward hearts for what they are, the Lord will lift us up. Isn't that your experience in the here and now? That confession is the path to a burden lifted? Uh, The shame over what is done, it's, it's taken away? In the Lord's tenderness, he lifts our head so we can we can stand tall. But this principle applies in a more permanent sense. The Bible's message is that those who remain proud, who keep pushing back against God's authority in their life, one day they'll reap disgrace for good. They will get what they wanted, an eternity apart from God. But the trouble is it will be anything but good. Those who humble themselves now before God will be lifted up in a permanent sense. Those who own their sin and, and take shelter in Jesus, who trust in his rescue, they'll be lifted up to life forever with him. We've seen humility leads to honour. Together, the three points have been humility is shaped by a fear of the Lord, humility produces good, and humility leads to honour. And I just want to spend some time thinking through the application. I'd like to close with kind of two different lines of application. At first, so some practical steps, concrete things you can do in terms of how to cultivate humility. And then just a, a brief suggestion for ongoing application beyond this series, these three talks. How do we cultivate humility? 
One, pray with God as big. When you pray, you're aiming to bring your real pressures, your troubles and worries to God. Being honest is important. But you're wanting to do it in such a way that you're seeing God as bigger and bigger so that you and your problems start to shrink, even if it's just a little. Here's an example. Lord, I feel the burden of growing this business. I'm weak and limited. You say that unless you build the house, the builders labor in vain. Would you help me to work faithfully? And would you help me to leave the outcome in your hands? Give me a confidence that you will supply what's best for me. Or two, practice thankfulness. Actively thanking the Lord for his work in your life and all the ways that you experience his goodness, it can be a great antidote to pride. Helps you realize just how much you need God. It's another way to realize how big he is in your life. Three, listen well. Listen well to others. What are we aiming for in our conversations? Uh, Let's take this Sunday morning as an example. Church family interactions after our service together. We want to relate in such a way that we listen for what's important to someone. We're not just listening for words, but we also want to pick up on how someone's feeling. We want to be impacted by them. We want to go away feeling some of what they feel. That's what it's like when you listen well. Four, ask questions. Part of listening well is picking up on what's important to someone else, and then it's asking further questions to show interest and to draw them out. Your sister Rhonda has had a really tough week. What are you imagining this coming week might be like for her? Part of asking questions is not assuming. If, if something's unclear or we didn't hear it properly, it's, it's easy for us to pretend that we know what was said. Yeah, yeah, we nod, but we didn't really know what was said, what we're agreeing to. Instead, humility asks, sorry, I didn't get that. I, I'm not sure I understood what you meant. Could you help me understand? It shows an attitude of, it's an attitude of showing interest. I, I really want to know you. Five, we accept limitations. Humility sometimes says, no, I can't do that. We have limited capacity. We can't do everything. Accepting limits means we're more free to say, I don't know, like Ed Welsh. The other example I thought of is the principle of Sabbath, having a day a week where you really do stop from your work and you say, it's okay, it's in the Lord's hands. I need to rest now. The last one, six, develop a healthy wariness of your own heart. Haley's grandma was known for asking the Lord that he would provide enough for what she needed to live well for God. But she also added to that, she prayed that she would not have so much that it would become a snare for her. Uh, We don't assume that we can resist sin and temptation. Instead, we're wary of our own tendency to turn away from the Lord. Um, Blessings can easily turn into temptations that lead us away from him. And so we live with that wariness. Well, my final line of application is, uh, what do we do after three weeks of teaching from Proverbs? I think often change in the Christian life, it's like the environmental slogan. Think globally, act locally. Uh, The reality is we can't actually do everything at once. But if we focus on one thing specifically over a period of time, it really does make a difference. So this is my suggestion. 
Pick one of the three character traits we've looked at over these, these three weeks. Sweet speech, self-control or humility. Pick one of them and make that a focus for yourself over the next six weeks. Consciously seek the Lord's help. It might be helpful to journal your experiences with one per- the one person that I've asked you to focus on, your experiences with them. Track your progress. How are you moving forward? What does change and growth look like with this person? Let's finish by asking for the Lord's help. Heavenly Father, through our time in Proverbs, you've been opening our eyes. You've been giving us new ways to think and showing us new ways to respond. Ways of living out life with others that are shaped by you and your goodness. Would you be bigger to us than what we've seen before? Would you help us to seem that little bit smaller? Would you grow us in humility? And as we've come to the end of these three weeks, would you help us moving forward? Help us to put what we've heard and learnt into practice. May you make us more and more like Jesus. In his name. Amen.